0: Welcome to Musings Under the Sun, a sporadic and informal podcast discussing the Bible, theology, culture, and other topics of interest. My name is Joel Griffiths, and today I actually want to begin a new long-term project for the podcast, which is going to be a series of episodes that are devoted to summarizing a new book that just recently came out by John Piper, and it's a book that's simply titled Providence. And it doesn't even have a subtitle or anything. It's just called Providence. It's published by Crossway, which is easily one of my favorite Christian book publishers. They put out a lot of good stuff. And this book in particular is a big one. It's very substantial. It weighs in at over 700 pages. I just got it in the mail the other day. The dust jacket on it is a nice deep crimson color and it still has that new book smell which is always just very inspiring to me. And I basically just want to ride that wave of inspiration as far as I can by not only reading the book, but also taking it as an opportunity to incorporate some of the things that I'm reading into some episodes for the podcast. And so what I want to do is just summarize each chapter of the book as I read it. But I do want it to be the kind of thing that that people can listen to and get benefit from, even if they're not reading the book with me. And if somebody does want to read the book and listen along to my summaries as they go, then that's great, too. And these episodes can kind of be a companion resource to anybody who is going to read the book for themselves. But I do like to think that these episodes could still be valuable to somebody, even if they're not reading the book. So they're just, you know, listening to a summary. And maybe you can kind of think of it like Sparknotes or, or Cliff Notes if you ever used those websites when you were in high school or college, uh, where instead of actually reading the book that was assigned, uh, you just read the Sparknotes summaries instead. And that kind of thing wasn't really okay when you were in school, even though I'm sure a lot of us did it, myself included. But But here it's okay. It's okay not to read the book and just to get some benefit from my summary thoughts on the book. And uh, some people you know just like to listen to things more than read things, and so there's that aspect of it too so um, you do you. I will say this: there are forty five chapters in the book forty seven if you count the introduction and the conclusion, and it might kind of feel like overkill if I do that many podcast episodes, one for each chapter so. Maybe at some point I'll combine certain chapters here and there. I don't know at at this point. We'll just have to see where it goes. But anyway, let's jump right into it. And Here we go, summarizing John Piper's new book called Providence. And we'll kind of just start for a second, for a few minutes, uh, with the title. What does that word Providence even mean? And I know Piper's going to define what he means by it uh, in the book, but let's just talk for a little bit about kind of a general definition of providence. And it was kind of funny when I looked up a dictionary definition because I saw it defined like this in the dictionary. Uh, Providence is defined as the protective care of God or of nature as a spiritual power. I'm personally not interested in the providence of nature. I don't believe in that. I believe this is God's world, and that's obviously gonna be the assumption going forward. Uh, but anyway, so we can kind of just put the dictionary down. And if we're if we're speaking in terms of Christian theology, the word providence is basically another term for the Sovereignty of God. In other words, the reality that God is in control of the world. He stands over and above the universe. He, is, he has total authority over all the world, and he is active in the world. And I think that's really key to the word providence, that God is active in bringing things about in the world and bringing things about in our lives. Uh, you probably heard of Providence, Rhode Island. That's a city that was founded by Puritans in the 1600s. And it's not really surprising that that's what they would name the city because Puritans had a very strong belief in the sovereignty of God or the providence of God. They believed that God was actively leading them and guiding them, taking care of them, uh, protecting them by his providence. Or you sometimes hear things like this. There's this huge tree that fell down in our yard, but in the providence of God, it just missed our house. And what we're saying when we say something like that is that God saw to it that the tree missed our house and landed where it did. So it wasn't just the the laws of physics. We don't we don't thank the laws of physics when that happens. Although we can say natural laws perhaps played a role, but even so, it was ultimately God who is holding together those natural laws and continually wills those laws to operate. And yet, sometimes we might see a tree fall in a fortunate way like that, that actually seems totally incompatible with the laws of physics, as if God actually just changed the natural course of the tree in a miraculous way, and I don't think as Christians we should ever doubt that that can and does happen. Again, this is God's world. He can suspend natural laws whenever he pleases. And then still though, even beyond that, we have to think about those times when a tree falls and crushes a house, or maybe even takes somebody's life. What are we to say of God's providence in those kinds of circumstances? I think it's easy to see the good and and fortunate events and attribute those to the providence of God. But if we're talking about unfortunate things, things that bring loss and bring pain, uh, seems to me like a lot of times it's harder for people to attribute those things to the providence of God. How does the providence of God operate when it comes to bad things, harmful things, even evil things that are committed by evil individuals, whether it's human beings or demons or Satan himself? All of these things, all of these questions are folded into what we believe about the providence of God. And even though I haven't read the book yet, I'm virtually certain Piper is going to address these kinds of questions in the book. And if you're familiar with this theological discussion of the providence of God or the sovereignty of God, then you might be aware that Christians don't always see eye to eye on it. I think most Christians out there would, uh, at least any Orthodox Christian, would affirm that God is sovereign. But when you get down into more specific questions like what does his sovereignty mean and what does it entail, how does it operate in the world, and specifically how does it operate in relation to uh, the actions of human beings, do human beings have free will, are the choices of human beings meaningful? Those are questions that are usually brought up in discussions about God's sovereignty. And I say discussions because I think ideally discussions is what we want, but unfortunately a lot of times it can turn into fighting, uh, but we don't want that. I don't think there's any need to fight about this stuff. Uh, sometimes the debate is, is broken down in terms of Calvinists versus Arminians, and I'm not really bothered by those terms necessarily. I, I understand that it's just shorthand that, that people use uh, to refer to different general viewpoints, But that said, I do tend to avoid using terms like that just because in my own experience, a lot of people uh, can find them off-putting and I don't really want to create an unnecessary barrier like that in discussions with people. And it is kind of unfortunate that um, you know, these theological viewpoints have been attached to the names of certain men in history, for example, John Calvin or Jacob Arminius, uh, because we're not ultimately concerned with, uh, with what men say. We want to know what God has said in his word. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what every Christian should want to do is just be faithful to what the Bible says. I want my view of the sovereignty of God to be something that Scripture teaches me, not something that I come up with on my own. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want to lean on God's understanding. I want to lean on His Word. Even if at the end of the day I don't have every dot connected or every question answered, uh, I want to be content to stand where the Bible stands. I want to be content to say what God says and no more and no less. And this is one thing that I do feel very confident about when it comes to John Piper. Whether I agree with him or not, I know that he is the kind of man who is going to be pointing me to the Bible over and over again. I'm confident uh, that this is going to be a Bible-saturated book from start to finish. And I I know Piper himself likes to use that phrase, Bible-saturated I've heard that the book has something like 3,000 scripture references in it, uh, and that's not a small number. And of course that doesn't automatically make him right about everything. You know, I might feel or you might feel that he uses some verses in a way that's not entirely accurate or warranted and you know, I won't hesitate to express that if if I ever feel like that's the case. Uh, but the point is I I can at least have full confidence that Piper himself is going to be dealing primarily with the Bible and pointing us to the Bible over and over again. And I can at least appreciate that about him, whether I agree with him at the end of the day or not. Now, truth be told, I'm probably going to agree with Piper the large majority of the time because I'm I'm already generally familiar with how he teaches about these things and, and how he thinks through this topic. Uh, I'm a huge John Piper fan. Uh, the Lord used John Piper's ministry in a big way in my own life through his books and his his preaching especially. And I'll just say that if you've never listened to his sermon called Boasting Only in the Cross, which is a sermon that he delivered at the Passion Conference in the year 2000. You really should listen to it. Just do a YouTube search for Piper Passion 2000. It's called Boasting Only in the Cross. And it's the sermon that has the famous seashells illustration, if, you're, if you've ever heard of that. But uh, it will challenge you and it will stir your heart. So give it a listen. All of that to say, I think Piper's awesome. I think he's an incredible gift to the church. I'm a huge fan. But I'm not somebody who just automatically thinks he's right about everything. Just most things. Anyway, uh, let's dive into the book. The introduction, he calls it four invitations. So there are four things that he basically wants to invite us to as readers of this book. And as we approach this topic of the providence of God. Before we get into those, though, I want to say right on the first page, he says this. The prophet, uh, in other words, the payoff or the, the benefit of writing a book like this about the providence of God, he says, The prophet lies not mainly in the validation of a theological viewpoint, but in the revelation of a great God, the exaltation of his invincible grace, and the liberation of his undeserving people. And I think that's just classic Piper right there, and it kind of reminds me of something else that he said on a different occasion when he was talking about Romans chapter 9. And long story short, Romans 9 is a chapter of the Bible that's very strong on the sovereignty of God in salvation, and Piper actually wrote a whole book on just one section of Romans chapter 9, and that was before he was ever a pastor. And if you if you read that book that he wrote on Romans 9, it's extremely dense. It's very technical. It's very academic. And he himself said that it's the most inaccessible book that he's ever written. But ironically, he also said that the Lord used the writing of that book to draw him toward pastoral ministry because he said as he, as he studied and analyzed Romans 9, he said he felt the Lord saying to him, I will not simply be analyzed, but I will be adored. And I will not simply be pondered, but I will be proclaimed. And I love that. And that's the same sense I get from this quote that I just read. Nobody's goal in approaching this topic of God's sovereignty should ever be, I want to prove that my side's right. No, that's lame. What we all should be doing here is wanting to see God, to see him as he is, to know him more deeply, and to love him more deeply. So with that, let's get into the four invitations now. The first one is this, page 14. He says, I invite you into a biblical world of counterintuitive wonders. A biblical world of counterintuitive wonders. Counterintuitive meaning... What the Bible is going to say about God's providence is not necessarily going to line up with our natural ways of thinking about the world. And I could go back here to something I mentioned earlier about the, the tree falling in the yard and barely missing the house. So our natural way of thinking might be to say, okay, was that God or was that you know, simply just the laws of nature? When the reality is maybe those two things are not as separate and distinct as we oftentimes make them out to be. Maybe the truth is more uh, counterintuitive to our normal ways of thinking. But Piper gives his own example here too, and he points to to Zechariah 11, where God says that he's going to raise up a shepherd for his people, but that this is actually going to be a shepherd who doesn't care about the people and actually treats the people badly. And that in itself, when you think about it, is pretty counterintuitive to us. Why would God purposefully raise up someone to do harm to his people whom he loves? But there God is, right there in the Bible, doing that. That's counterintuitive. But if that weren't enough, if you keep reading in Zechariah 11, he eventually in turn punishes that bad shepherd. So on the one hand, he raises up this shepherd to afflict his people, and on the other hand, he punishes the shepherd for afflicting his people. That is counterintuitive. Our natural way of thinking says, surely God couldn't punish somebody for doing the very thing that God had raised them up to do, could he? That doesn't seem right, according to our natural ways of thinking. And and Piper doesn't really get into how to sort these things out yet, although, you know, perhaps later in the book he will i assume but his point here is just to to illustrate that that we should realize the bible's oftentimes gonna say things that seem counterintuitive to us and piper's actually inviting us into the wonder of those things and i like how he communicates that because we shouldn't let counterintuitive things about god uh, scare us or bother us or worry us but we sh- they should actually thrill us and, and create in us a sense of wonder and awe at who he is. I know it's kind of cliche, but it doesn't make it any less true that if I could figure everything out about God, then he wouldn't be God. I should be able to delight in the fact that his ways are not my ways. And that his ways many times are mysterious to me. And this is what Paul says in in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul understood that God's ways were beyond him. And that led him to worship. And I think the same should be true for us. So that's number one. We're invited into a biblical world of counterintuitive wonders. So now number two, Piper says, page 15, quote, I invite you to penetrate through words into reality. I invite you to penetrate through words into reality. And at first that kind of struck me as like a super abstract philosophical kind of thing to say, but it's actually a pretty simple point that he's making. He basically doesn't want anybody to get bent out of shape about the fact that providence is actually a word that's not in the Bible, which I will admit, I was kind of a little surprised uh, to learn that. I'd, I think I would have guessed that at least somewhere in the King James, you could find the word providence, but I guess not. Anyway, though, uh, Piper says, don't be bothered by the fact that the word providence isn't in the Bible. Because it's actually just a word that we're using to summarize things that are all over the Bible. And it's kind of similar to how we use the word Trinity. Trinity is not a, a word that's in the Bible, but it's a word that we use to, to synthesize or codify or summarize truths that are in the Bible. As Piper says, his, his basic definition of providence is God's purposeful sovereignty. God's purposeful sovereignty. So can we find examples in the Bible of God being purposefully sovereign? And I think the answer is clearly yes. We can find that all over the place in the Bible. And that's all that Piper's referring to with this simple word, providence. He says, don't worry about the word. I want you to see through the word into the divine reality that I'm talking about. And he makes a cool point too about how we actually have to use language that's not in the Bible in order to explain what the Bible means. Otherwise, you know, all I would have to do as a pastor is just step up into the pulpit and read the Bible for 40 minutes and then wake everybody up when it was time to go home. But in all seriousness, the point is. That's all I could do if I wasn't allowed to use any words that don't come from the Bible. But I think we all know that that's not really how language and communication works. Just to give you an illustration, if my wife were to walk into the house and say, I've about had it, and I said, what do you mean? If all she does is repeat herself and say, I've about had it, that's not going to be helpful to me. She's not telling me what she means. When I ask what she means, I'm essentially asking her to put it in different words. And I think in a similar way, when we read the Bible and ask, what does this mean? What we're really asking for is different words. Put it in different words so I can better understand what's being said. I think also about my mom, for example, who she uh, teaches a Wednesday night class at church with three and four year olds. And as she does that, do you think she's just going to read the Bible to them and expect them to to understand what they're hearing? No, of course not. She's going to translate it into some different kinds of language that little kids can more easily understand. And beyond that, she's also going to use coloring pictures and props and crafts and all these things that will help them see beyond just mere words and into the reality behind the words. And I think that's easy for us to understand when it comes to kids, but I also think it applies to really all communication, whether it's with kids or adults. And so that's invitation number two, penetrate through words into reality. In other words, don't get hung up on the word providence. Try to see the biblical reality that uh, he's pointing to. That's Piper's basic point with that invitation. So then we get to invitation number three. Page 18, Piper says, quote, I invite you into a God-entranced world. I invite you into a God-entranced world. And Piper actually co-wrote a book with Justin Taylor called a God-Entranced Vision of All Things, which is a book about Jonathan Edwards, who is uh, one of Piper's heroes. Now, that word entranced is kind of interesting because in one sense, it's weird because uh, uh, when you just think about the word trance, it makes you think of like being hypnotized or something like that, which is not what Piper's talking about at all. The word entrance is just means to fill someone with delight or to hold their attention entirely. And for Piper, what this means is basically being able to look at even the smallest and most seemingly insignificant aspects of our world and actually see God's hand at work in those things. So Jesus said, look at the birds. He said, look at the lilies of the field and look at how God takes care of them. And based on that, we can reason that, therefore, how much more is he going to take care of you and me? So in other words, we see the providence of God even in the smallest aspects of the world. But even even in something that's actually really big and beautiful, like a sunrise, for example, we can start to take things like that for granted because they happen every day, right? Right. Uh, and Piper talks about this a little bit. He says he used to look at a sunrise and think, wow, this is a beautiful world God created. As if, as if God just kind of created the world and all of its natural laws, and then that system of nature then uh, produces these sunrises every morning. Uh, but he said he eventually came to see that, no, actually every sunrise is a new providence of God. It's a new painting. God paints a new sunrise every morning, and he never gets tired of painting them. Uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare his glory. And Piper goes even further and says that he eventually realized God actually never stops doing this. He's always painting sunrises because every moment the sun is rising on a different part of the world. So he's He's painting sunsets every morning. Moment, And this is what Piper means by having a a God-entranced vision of the world. We learn to see God's hand in all things, great or small. And so number three, Piper invites us into a God-entranced world. And then lastly, that brings us to invitation number four. Page 22, Piper says, Fourth and finally, I am inviting you to know, maybe as you never have known, the God whose involvement in his children's lives and in the world is so pervasive, so all-embracing, and so powerful that nothing can befall them but what he designs for their glorification in him and his glorification in them. And that's kind of a long sentence, but he's basically saying, I'm inviting you to know God, to know God as he's revealed himself to us in Scripture. And ultimately, that we might come to understand more deeply what God has done in Christ for the salvation of his people. And I appreciate how Piper doesn't lose sight of the cross here. This isn't just a book about the sovereignty of God, period. Piper connects it to the work of Christ, which should always be central and everything, and I don't think Piper references the verse here, but this actually made me think of where Paul says in first Corinthians two "I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified and that's really a very interesting thing for Paul to say because Paul was brilliant, Paul was educated, and in one sense, he knew all kinds of stuff other than Christ and him crucified. But I think that that was his way of saying, everything else I know, everything else I'm about is tethered to Christ and Him crucified. Um, It's all based around that. It's central to everything. And I think Piper's showing that same mindset here. He doesn't want to write a book simply about the sovereignty of God that's somehow disconnected from the saving work of Christ. For Christians, everything should be connected to the saving work of Christ. So Piper invites us to know God more deeply, to know him through this lens of his providence as we as we see it exemplified in scripture, but also for that to lead us into a greater understanding, a greater realization and appreciation for what God has done through Jesus. And so those are the four invitations in the introduction of providence by John Piper. Um, Lord willing, I'm going to just keep working my way through this book and making some episodes based on each chapter and the thoughts and reflections that I have on those chapters. Um, You might be thinking, you know, didn't you already have another series that you had started doing? And the answer is yes. So on the last episode of the podcast, I had uh, started a series on the attributes of scripture. And I haven't forgot about that, I promise, and I do still intend on finishing that. So I'll probably do a few episodes with this Piper book and then uh, jump back to the attributes of Scripture so that I can eventually finish those off. Uh, And I know that that all kind of might feel messy and unorganized to some people, and I get it. But the bottom line is I've got to ride the waves of inspiration that hit me, and this is the one that, that hit me this week. So here we are. And So that brings us to the end of the episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, Feel free to reach out to me uh, in whatever way you like, uh, just to to let me know if you have any feedback about the show or even topics that you might like to, to hear about on future episodes. And just to let you know, the podcast is available on Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube as well, so that you can follow or subscribe uh, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And I'm even flirting with the idea of doing some video content in the future as opposed to just audio. We'll see about that. Uh, But until next time, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man.